Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hey, welcome to Telling Everybody Everything. You'll notice I have a very sexy voice, still a little bit sick, not a problem for me. I am a true professional. We had an incredible time filming backstage with Catherine Ryan. Thank you so much if you came. And thank you for listening to the special episode that we recorded with Jenna and Fiona backstage. I was worried that it was going to be a little rough and ready, but my mom got in touch to say that the audio was great. So I will take that advice from Julie McCarthy. Tell me this. Um, I have been plugging my book, The Audacity. It's coming out next month. And I feel like everywhere I turn, the publisher is asking for extra content. Now, I don't really know how to sell books. I mean, I literally don't know how to sell books. But I felt like anyone who purchased it will be purchasing it for the book. No, apparently they're like, well, you know, this retailer has this extra content. That retailer has this extra content. There's a lot of competition out there. A lot of people want different things. Fine. I'm trying to deliver all these extras, but I'm a little bit busy. And um, the audiobook was requesting some extra content on there. And I was like, well, I have a podcast. You can genuinely listen to like hundreds of hours of my voice online for free if you want to. I feel like those purchasing the audiobook, it's because they're too lazy to read like me, or they want to hear my voice telling the stories, or they like to listen to books on the go, you know, gardening in the car, what have you. It's sort of the podcast community maybe likes to listen to audiobooks more than the book community. I don't know, but they already listen to the podcast. So what am I going to put on there? I was talking to Julie McCarthy about this and my mom said, well, ooh, I sound more like my mom with a bit of a cold. Well, I would be more than happy to submit some extra content for the audiobook. And I thought to myself, yeah, yes, I feel like that is an attractive offer because I do receive lots of emails to the podcast about my mom. People are like, oh, your mom is, you know, the origin story of why you're so badass. And, you know, my mom is kind of like me, oh, I would say unfiltered. I think with age, not that my mom is aged, but I think you lose even more of your filter. And I have been media trained, believe it or not. I like, you know, I temper some of my thoughts. But you ask my mom about, you know, domestic homicide. And she's like, yep, they're all killers. Watch out. You know, she's very in it. So <laughs> she's a spicy little meatball is all I'm saying. Who doesn't eat meat? She's a spicy little vegan meat-free meatball. And she's not ball-sized either. Look, my mom has offered some extra content. I feel like it could be exciting. And she records audiobooks all the time. That's one of my mom's little side hustles. 
She did an audiobook the other day that was like a children's novel. She did one for young adults. She did one about lectins. She did one about the porn industry. She's doing a lot of interesting things over there in Toronto. And she's offered the extra content. I feel like if I can get my publisher to agree, that's the best thing. That's the best thing for the book. You've heard my voice for the whole book. You can hear more of it on the podcast. I talk about the book. I answer questions. I mean, I'm doing a live event September 24th in London where I'll be interviewed by my good friend Emily Dean. Emily Dean has a podcast. It's called Walking the Dog. Like, I feel like I've heard my voice. I've heard it all. Let's get Julie McCarthy at the end of the audiobook. And I don't know, like, I think if you leave her to her own devices, it's going to be a really spicy contribution because maybe she'll talk about the book. Maybe she'll talk about parts of, you know, featuring herself in the book that she doesn't agree with. I think already my mom feels that I was very diplomatic in areas where I perhaps shouldn't have been. Maybe I didn't describe her divorce the way she wants, but you know what? This is the thing about truth. Everyone has their truth and the book is my truth. I tried to be fair and diplomatic and look in the rear view and understand things properly now that I maybe uh, didn't understand at the time. And uh, my mom could offer some insight, or maybe she'll just go totally off-piste. It'll be just a collection of show tunes and like thoughts from my mom. I'm telling you, I would really love to hear extra content from Julie McCarthy. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. If you have any ideas for this extra content, because you are the people who listen to stuff, please email me, telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Make it snappy. I got to submit this very soon. I am wearing Fred in the carrier as we speak. Um, I love a chest carrier. We use the Baby Bjorn one. Um, they have different designs. I forget which one this is. I don't know. It's like gray and soft. Maybe, maybe it has the word jersey in it. Maybe it has the word tech in it. Look, any Baby Bjorn carrier that you get, and this is not an ad, it's going to be a good carrier because... I bought two others and they were shit. Fred just didn't like them. Maybe your baby would like a different brand. My baby does not. And Violet, a decade and a bit ago, also had a baby Bjorn carrier. And uh, it's just good. It's just good on the back. The baby likes it. Fred is 10 weeks today. He's reached an age where he knows what he likes. He knows what he doesn't. And he can be smiley, chatty, giggling. And then he just turns. He chooses violence. And there's no way to get him back from there. He won't even eat. He gets so annoyed. And Violet did the same. I don't know if your babies do. They get so pissed off that first you have to like calm them and apologize before they will even entertain the notion of a dummy or a breast or a bottle. And that's who Fred is now. And he has a real manly little voice, like his mother. And uh, he's just, rah, rah, rah. Wouldn't eat, got pissed off. Put him in the carrier. And he's realized now that he can eat in the carrier like a little baby kangaroo. And I've seen women manipulate their breasts in a way that you can breastfeed them in the carrier. But I mean, my tits are fake. They know where they want to be. And they're not like wrapping around anywhere. They kind of, it's not going to work. So I tip him forward, hold his, you know, back neck for support. And then I feed him genuinely lent forward in a squat tip the bottle in that way and give him express breast milk. He loves that. He loves being a baby kangaroo. And now I'm swaying around the kitchen. So if it sounds a little echoey or if you can hear dogs, probably hear Megan snoring. That's why. It's because we got to get the podcast done. You know me. I have a very happy relationship. I feel like a very old soul. I feel like even though 
the perception of me on stage might be that I just walk around, you know, stomp around this house in gowns, eviscerating anyone who dares to cross me. And a lot of people have written me online to say that I'm like high maintenance in a relationship. There'd be photos of me and Bobby and I've seen men comment like, oh, she's a nightmare. She must be high maintenance. Quite the opposite is true. Um, Bobby the other day was, well, he looked after Fred pretty much 24-7. Well, not 24-7. We had the night nanny. He looked after Fred 16 hours a day, every day while I was on the Amazon job. And as you know, you know, if you've got a newborn, that is long work and you love them and you want to look after them. And Bobby's absolutely delighted to spend loads of time with Fred. But, you know, at the end of it, you also need some mental space. You need to go for a walk or take some room to breathe or take some time to yourself. Especially when you didn't become a parent till the age of 37, I think you learn to enjoy your own company a little bit. You enjoy your freedom and then it's wonderful to have a baby and we're not complaining, but it is a shift. So I got home from the Amazon job quite run down, quite sick. And Bobby said to me, oh, um, it's your, it's your first day off. Here's the baby. I'm going to go golfing. And I was a bit like, um, you're going to leave a newborn for five hours with your sick wife so that you can go golfing. I mean, there's nowhere I go for five hours for free. Let me promise you that. I have not had one lunch with my girlfriends or done anything like that since Fred was born. Uh, I mean, a lot of that is by choice. And because I don't really have a lot of girlfriends, I have Jen and Fiona who work with me and I see them at work. It's kind of like social time. When you're a comedian, oh man, the sound again. I'm really sorry, guys. I've turned it off now. Not professional, but we persist. When you're a comedian, your job is very social. And I got to see lots of my friends this week. But I'm kind of like, oh, this golf thing is kind of a monster that I created because when Bobby first came in our house, came in our house, like moved to London and stayed in the flat where Violet and I used to live. It was a big culture shock because he ate meat and he smoked. And Violet and I were from the perspective that both of those things were pure evil. And we liked Bobby and Bobby was a good guy, but it was difficult to kind of understand why this really great guy that we liked did two quite evil things that we abhorred. He would um, smoke, not in the house, but on walks and stuff. And I thought that was kind of a deal breaker. I was like, look, you know, it's not cool for Violet to see someone smoking. We really don't smoke. Like, also, no, no offense, it's trash. As Jen says, it's P-O-O-R. <laughs> and I'm sorry if you smoke. I, look, I know that smoking is great. I've talked to smokers. It's their favorite thing to do. It gives them a real boost in the mood. It makes them feel happy. I mean, without ever having smoked in my life, I get it. I understand. I sound like I smoke a pack a day, but I've never even tried it. I know how it makes you feel, but you know, everyone has to choose what's right for their family. And then we started trying for a baby and the doctor was like, oh yeah, just, um, you're both, I did like a fertility check and I had lots of eggs and everything was cool. And he just said, just make sure no one smokes in the house. No one does anything like that. So I said, Bobby, we're in our late thirties. You got to cut the smoking. And it was tough for him. He felt stressed out. Um, I think he would really crave one sometimes, and then he would sneak around. You know, he's putting the bins out a lot, and we would smell smoke sometimes when he'd come in, and then it became sneaky, and Violet would 
start to be the smoke police and be like, I could smell smoke on Bobby. I think he was smoking by the bins. So blah, blah, blah. We went around the houses with that for a while. Finally, we decided, all right, how about you just smoke on the golf course? You're outside for a long time. You're gone long enough for the smell to like blow off of you. And Bobby was like, I'll show you smoke when I golf. And lo and behold, immediately became a professional golfer. Okay. (laughs) So now he doesn't golf all the time. You know, Bobby is integral to the running of this house. He does more than I do. I'm very comfortable saying that. He does so much. He's on it. He's clean. He's smart. He looks after the garden. He has like ideas for the house. He's very resilient and resourceful and takes incredible initiative. He is not at all like one of these husbands where I have to make a honey-do list or ask him to babysit or ask for this or that. You know, we're very, very equal in this house. If there's inequality, it's that he does more. So I had to, for the sake of my husband and the sake of my relationship and being a fair person, I had to think about, well, what's Bobby been through in the last two years? What does Bobby need? And is golfing just recreational? So a lot of husbands and golf enthusiasts are going to want to play this podcast for their partners because I'm about to be massively on your side. I was thinking to myself, okay, Bobby came over here. We got married right away. Then the pandemic hit. We had a few like medical tragedies within the household, and he hasn't been able to see his friends or family once since. When I moved to the UK in 2008, it was like a gradual taking the Band-Aid off slowly. You know, I went back to Toronto for a little while. I stayed with my sister. I came back to the UK again. I'd visit back home for a little while. I'd go home almost every Christmas. I could take little breaks from London life and see my family. I could fly my family here. I could do a lot of things that Bobby just hasn't been able to do. I was like 23 or 24 and I just wasn't ready to move here cold turkey. He has had to do that. And Bobby's relationships with his friends especially were really important to him. Certain people need to have friends and see their friends and other people deal with a lockdown better. I'm kind of an introvert. I've been socially distanced for a long time. I can go without seeing my friends or family. I talk to my sister Carrie a lot on like video chat. Um, I'm lucky that I have a group WhatsApp and that satisfies, you know, my need for closeness with my family. But Bobby's not exactly like that. He would love to see and spend time with his family and friends, especially. So I've got two choices with the golf. I can be like, hang on, I work 16 hours a day when I'm not at work, I'm really tired and you can't just leave me with a newborn for five hours to go golfing and have drinks after golf or do whatever. Like I could get mad about it. I could get cross and I could go, oh, well, look at me, like the poor wife at home who works all the time and now I've got one day off, you hand me the baby, I'm not feeling well and you just wanna gallivant around North London with your friends golfing. I wanted to spend time with you on my day off too. I feel rejected, I feel lonely, blah, blah, blah. I feel like I'm being handed the workload when I could really use a day of, you know, lunching with my girlfriends or sleeping or whatever, you know. I secretly had some plans to have a nap on my day off. Um, But I didn't go there. I thought, hang on a second. Hmm, what is Bobby really needing when he goes golfing? Then I thought to myself, I think golf is medicine for some people. It's actually really important for their mental well-being. And Bobby needs to golf 
just the same way that I need to take a shower or I need to take some time to do my podcast on a Sunday. And we just have to make it work. We have to build golf into our time as a family as one of the really important things that we don't take off the table because one of us feels sick or because one of us is working a lot or whatever. We have to prioritize golf. So Bobby went golfing that day and he came back really happy, totally refreshed. He'd been in a bit of a mood, like not a mood. He loves hanging out with Fred, but he just was a little exhausted. I feel that if I golfed and walked around the course for five hours, I would be even more exhausted. But different people have their own methods of recharging. To him, I think golfing is like a nap or, I mean, I don't know, it does something for his mental wellness that it would never do for mine and that I can't maybe understand completely, but I had to let him go do it without a fuss. I don't mean, you know, let him, like, give him permission, but I could have been shitty about it. And so if something happens in your family like that, maybe if you have a partner who has to go, oh, my God, actually, if he's one of these dads who's in, like, a bike group, fuck that. Don't let him do that. He's a real danger to himself and to others on the road. But if he has a hobby that's not, like, being a total loser... Then, or your wife, or your non-binary partner, then um, I think instead of going straight to selfishness and like, well, I need, I need, I don't understand, you have to maybe think about whether it's really important to be chill about it and let them do it. You need to put your mask on first. You know, on a plane, when things go a little bit left and the masks come down, remember planes? You don't put the mask on your infant and then pass out from oxygen deprivation, do you? You put your own mask on first, and then you can help the people around you. So that's another little relationship tidbit, little tip that I learned by taking a moment of reflection to myself. Oh, God. Why am I siding with men all the time now? And not just men. Like, who golfs? It's a lot of older white men with a fat ass, as Adam Sandler would say. What do you need to golf? Silly pants and a fat ass. Is that what he says? (laughs) Um... Who golfs like freaking Tory members? These are the exact wolf crying shit weasels. The worst people ever. I'm siding with them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm sure by now you've seen the horrible news, the really tragic news. Um, I'm sorry if you've not seen it and you're finding out for the first time that comedian Sean Locke passed away this week. 
that really came as a shock. Um, I did not know. I found out, same as everyone else on the BBC website. You know, Sean, if you are from abroad and you've been watching 8 Out of 10 Cats, 8 Out of 10 Cats does Countdown. If you're a comedy fan, you will know Sean from his many hilarious specials and DVDs and maybe even his sitcom 15 Stories High. He was the best. He was genuinely one of the funniest people in the world. He was undeniable. Everyone was crying laughing when he would speak. He, uh, he was everyone's favorite. And it's just a terrible loss to the comedy community. On the day that it was announced, all the comics that I know, I just saw Twitter and all social media filling up with like tributes to him. Um, I think Channel 4 put together some tribute clips and they played some of his classic episodes of 8 out of 10 Cats after the news was shared. And lots of people, you know, when a celebrity passes on, they make a post and they just go, oh no, Sean Locke, or they go, RIP, Sean Locke, or they have their own experience to add to the conversation. They go, well, I remember when he was very nice to me on this thing, or I remember when he really made me laugh that time. They share experiences and memories or just condolences to the family. And this goes on with uh, any celebrity, whether whether you knew the celebrity or not, like when Kobe Bryant passed away, everyone was tweeting about it. And I know that that is what's done. I know that's the culture, but I have never subscribed to that. I don't know what it is. I just think social media is a dirty, cheap toy. And I don't acknowledge death on it very often. I don't uh, I never would be like, oh yes, R.I.P. Whitney Houston. I would never. I hate those posts for some reason, and I feel like when I die, I don't. I guess I won't care by then, but I don't want everyone posting like, R.I.P. Catherine. Like people who didn't know me, just like copy pasting the news story. I I don't know what it is. I, it rubs me the wrong way, and I know that everyone has good intentions. And I think that Sean Locke's closest friends and comedians who worked with him the most, when they share a tribute, I think that adds to the conversation. I think that's really important. I think people feel comfort from seeing that. But I didn't feel like it was my place. I didn't feel like it was my place. I couldn't add anything to the conversation by being like, oh, sorry to lose Sean Locke. Like, of course I am. And it's a very individual thing, grief. Um, everyone has their own experience with it. I'm not saying that I am passing judgment on what someone else should have done. But for me, my Instagram is for thirst trapping and fun things and ads sometimes. And my Twitter, I don't even like Twitter anymore. Like I've, I really want to come off. I feel like every single time I log into Twitter, I've woken up in the middle of a fucking Cobra meeting and everyone's like, what should we do about Afghanistan? Oh, Cuba's in trouble. What are these wildfires? Like you're not, you don't, you're not going to do anything about it. I'm sick of Twitter. So I I didn't post anything. I'm weird about death anyway. I have my own weird relationship with it. And I just thought, okay, Jimmy Carr posted a lovely tribute. Rob Beckett posted something lovely. John Richardson posted the right thing. I just felt like it was covered. If I post it, I'm posting it for me. I am. I'd be posting it for me to be like, oh, here's my experience with him. And it's like, I don't need to do that for me, but here's my point. 
by not posting. I got all these messages from people. Oh, I guess you don't care. Oh, Catherine, please post something about Sean Locke. Catherine, why have you been silent on the death of Sean? I don't know what people want from a tribute. Who would I be posting that for? For you, Sean Locke did not have social media. He hated social media. I don't care what you think. I don't care how I look. Do I think that in the afterlife, whatever he's doing now, he cares about me, little me, who worked with him now and then, posting something on Twitter? No, he doesn't. I hope that you have received all the information that you needed from the news site, all the comfort that you needed from other tributes that have been posted, all the insight that you needed about Sean and how wonderful he was from his closest friends, the comedians who worked with him and loved him since the 90s. I've loved reading those too. It goes without saying that I felt privileged every time I got to work with Sean Locke. He was one of my favorite comedians. I do not know how he made laughter out of some of the most mundane things, how his brain worked, how his like fresh comedy mind would take anything and make it so fucking funny we were all crying. Um, it's been tough to deal with, you know, for everyone, and it will be for a long time. And th that goes without saying, and I'm not going to make a tweet about it. Let's take a break now from my Sunday ranting around the kitchen to hear some words from our sponsors. And when we come back, I'm going to open the emails. Open the emails. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I just opened my emails, and the first one is about my book, which I'm sending to a few people that I've worked with, a few people that I admire, um, a lot of people that I think can just get the word out on their social medias that we might have, like, you know, followings in common. People get to know about the book. I love Gemma Collins. You know I do. She's my favorite entertainer. I love that she's a diva. Um, we have chatted on her podcast on social media in real life and we have sent a request to send her the book and the reply that came was Gemma is not currently accepting gifts and now I like her even more what a baller what level of diva fame do you need to get to that you send a general message out like excuse me no more gifts I have received too many gifts I will not accept another gift and she's kind of a genius because people send me gifts and I'm very grateful, you know, I want to learn about small businesses and try their products and I'm very happy for free to put these things on my social media if I like them, I want to tell people about them, you know, I just think it's a fun thing to do and I don't mind it. I get sent a lot of books though and that's a little bit daunting. It feels like homework in many cases because even though I want to read it and I'm excited for you that you, you have a book out. I'm quite busy and I'm slow at reading, so especially with Fred. And I know that what you want is a quote, me being like, oh, I love the book and here's why. And so I have to actually do work. I have to read it quickly, pay attention, think about what I loved about the book, and then like submit that quote back. That's what they're looking for. That's what I'm looking for. When I send you my book, I mean, I, I don't care. I don't know why books have quotes on them. I actually don't care. I don't buy a book because of a quote on it. However, my publishers would like you to write back and be like, 
oh, Beyonce said Catherine's book was, you know, fab and like what every single lady needs. And then, you know, you know. So Gemma's smart. She knows what people are looking for. There's this one company, they make like some candy that costs like a dollar. And my daughter likes it. So um, I reached out to them one time because they were doing influencer packs. And I was like, oh my gosh, my daughter's bothering me because you're doing these influencer packs. She's seen them on TikTok. Could we please have one? And I'll put it on my stories. You know, we'd be really grateful. My daughter loves your brand. It's genuinely a dollar. So like, I'm not trying to get a free lunch. I will gladly pay for it, but it's not for sale. So they sent me this influencer pack and I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. I put it all over my social media. Violet was thrilled. And then she kind of, you know, kids move on. She didn't like this candy anymore. And they keep reaching out to me being like, oh, well, we have a new flavor of the candy here. We're going to send it to you. They have my address now. Here, we're going to send this to you. We're going to send that to you. And now I'm like, oh God, it's a slippery slope. I've really opened a door where they expect me to put it on my social media every single time. And now it feels different. You know what I mean? It feels like at first I did it because I wanted to. And now it's like I'm in a hostage situation with this candy. So eventually I had to write them back and be like, listen, I'm so sorry. We have too much candy. Please do not send us any more. And now, you know, my social media relationship with them has come to its natural end. But love that, Gemma Collins. How funny is that? Gemma is not accepting gifts. Gemma, bye. Honestly, I love you. I just wanted you to read my book, but it's all right. I respect you even more. All right. The first email is a subject that I should be able to answer very well. Catherine, how do I avoid falling for another asshole? Catherine, I've recently escaped a relationship with a handsome and charming young man, a doctor no less, whom I fell madly in love with for a few years. I was rudely awoken from my romantic slumber after moving across the state for him and committing to a future together by the realization that I was dating a narcissist with a gambling addiction. Oh, the classic story. After begging, borrowing, and stealing my life savings away, I was left a shell of my former self. Behind the scenes, I gathered all the courage I could muster with a lot of help from my family and friends to get the hell out of there. Fortunately, his parents are wealthy and were completely mortified by their son's mistreatment of me and paid me back everything that was owed? Now that I'm financially back on my feet and working through the gaslighting and emotional manipulation, I have to know, how do I avoid falling for another asshole? Tips, tricks, and green flags, please. Green flags? I mean, oh God. Well, first of all, great that his parents are rich and covered their son's ass probably yet again by paying for another one of his mistakes. This to me sounds like the kind of family who paid the college he went to for like a special side door entrance, you know? He's a doctor who we should be very wary of because he probably didn't actually pass the tests, you know? He was given like a laptop and an extra hour because his parents had some specialist diagnose him with something he didn't have so he'd have a leg up on the competition, you know? I'm glad they paid you back, but they kind of shouldn't have. They're wealthy and sounds to me like they raised a little narcissist by getting him out of jams and giving him a free ride. They gave you hush money, you know? Like, oh, sorry, our son's such an asshole. Here's some money. Please go away. I mean, I think what's really important, first and foremost, is not to identify as someone who chooses shit men. Because this is what I did for a while, and I thought it was funny, and I would say it on stage. I'd be like, well, it's just me, you know, I choose shit men, me, me, me. But what you seek, you shall find. And the more you repeat that about yourself, 
the more you're going to believe it to be true and you'll go off and do it again. So due to usually something that's happened in their lives, they don't like themselves. Therefore, they create this image of who they'd like to be and they make crazy, you know, wild um, statements about what they've done or what they can do and they make promises that they break or they'll say, oh God, I don't know. Like I dated a guy who would pretend to be his own agent on the phone with like a variation of accents. And I looked at him and I was kind of like, hmm, like if you're pretending to be your own agent, he would always talk like he was the smartest one or he figured things out that other people couldn't or, you know, he deserved this and that in life but wasn't getting it. He had this real distorted image of who he was that he would try to portray. And I just felt like really whipped up in all these lies. I'm like, well, maybe he's right. Maybe he is the smartest person ever. He wasn't. And narcissists... um, will have loads of broken promises in the beginning. I would watch out for that. And then in terms of getting away from one, you already know how to get away from one. You knew how to not lose yourself because often in a narcissistic relationship, you become an extension of them. I mean, you've been through it all. You've been around the houses, it sounds like. You came out the other side without losing yourself. You are very smart. And I don't think you are going to do it again. I really don't know about green flags. Bobby had loads of green flags. My boyfriend before Bobby also was not a narcissist. Uh, Green flags, opposite of red flags, I guess. Just all his actions matched up with what he said. Um, He didn't over-promise and under-deliver. He uh, didn't play any games. He never tried to, like... I mean, he did woo me, but not not in a crazy way. I don't know. I just think you got to get out of the narrative that you pick bad men. You don't. You did. You're not going to again. Here's another email. Catherine, I hope you and your family are doing well. I love your comedy and the podcast. You always tell it like it is. So maybe you can help me out. Do you know who I sound like? It's Chloe from Love Island. I'm just not going to put up with that anymore. It's the scratchiness. I like it. Okay. I am 27 and living in Toronto. I've been to Sarnia a few times and can confirm it's absolute shit. After finally listening to my intuition, I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, who I dated for three and a half years. Great guy, just not my guy. Very good. I learned so much from this relationship, and I'm trying to have a positive attitude moving forward. The absolute worst thing, though, is two years ago, he got a puppy, and we raised it together. He paid for the puppy and all associated costs, so it is his. Megan, shut up. But I love that dog so much, and I feel absolutely horrible that the dog doesn't understand why I left and may be more sad about losing the dog than the guy. I really wanted to have a clean break, but we're both PhD candidates in the same department and work in the same hospital. I'm going to see him more than I would like. How do I make sure we don't fall back into old habits? Also, I was super motivated to stay single for a long time to make sure that when I start dating again, my head is clear and I know what I want. But ever since I decided to break up with him two months before I actually did, I started noticing an abundance of Toronto hotties. Is the best way to get over someone truly to get under someone else? How do I make sure I don't end up with another three-year rebound? I'm pretty sure my ex was actually just an extended rebound from my ex before that. Oh, God. Are they not all just extended rebounds? Hmm. Shame about the puppy. Let's address that first. Dogs don't think the same way that humans do. They love you, but I mean, they don't really have 
a memory in the same way that you or I would understand it. They don't have a concept of time in the same way that you or I understand it. And I think that's why some dogs tear the house apart when you go out just for an hour because they really don't know about time or like how long you're coming back or whatever. So some of those like anxious dogs have bad behavior. Um, This dog doesn't conceptualize you leaving. You know, he's not going to be like, oh, she left me. She doesn't like me. I miss her. As far as this dog's concerned, from everything that I've heard and read, you kind of just went to the store. You know, um, if he saw you again, he'd be like, hey, what's up? She's back. But if he didn't, he's not counting the days. You know what I mean? So just rest assured that what's wonderful about all dogs is that they live in the moment. If he's got food and he's got a warm place to sleep, and presumably he likes your ex-boyfriend who you say is a good guy, <clears throat> then that dog's happy and he's not cognitively attaching any blame or anything to you leaving, get a new dog. Um, in terms of not falling back into same habits, I, I think it's fine to work with this guy. It seems like you're really clear that he's a great guy, just not for you. You broke up. I don't see a danger of you getting back together, really. And if you work together, you can see the dog now and then. As long as he doesn't have any heart feelings, hard feelings either, you could see the dog. I think it's great. Should you bang guys in Toronto? That wasn't that funny. I'm holding Fred, so I didn't use the word fuck. Hmm, I'm growing. Should you bang guys in Toronto? Of course you should. Careful of the, the D variant. Careful of HPV. Um, I didn't know there were so many Toronto hotties. I never saw any while I was there. And Bobby was living in Toronto and not snapped up, actually. So maybe that's evidence that all the single guys in Toronto were like super, super, super hot. Um, I think you should go on dates. I think the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else personally. It really draws a line under it. And I think you can have boundaries with yourself if you really want to stay single. Actually, that's not true. Oh, no, it's not true because I went to Toronto, banged Bobby, didn't I, for a laugh, and I got married six months later. Hmm, I think what I've learned then and what I can tell you is you just can't plan for your future. It's great to be happy single, but you should also just go where the wind takes you, especially because we haven't been able to meet anyone in the last two years. Just make friendships, have relationships, meet people, do what your heart tells you, stay single if that's what you want. But if there's a Toronto doppelganger of Bobby Kane, he sweeps you off your feet, you will be powerless against marrying him. As long as your head's in the right place, though, I don't think you'll embark upon another three-year rebound. It's okay. Just accept, like a dog. A dog can teach you a lesson, you know? Live in the moment. You can't entirely plan for the future. You can just hope for the best and lay out a happy path. Stop everything. We have an email from a paparazzi. Catherine, I am a paparazzi photographer from London currently shooting the Kardashians in LA. How cool is this? I mean, what's the point of shooting the Kardashians? Like, what paparazzi photos can you get of the Kardashians that are exclusives? Oh, wait a minute, Kylie's pregnant. Maybe that's why. All hands on deck. Everyone's gone to Hollywood to try to get photos of Kylie pregnant with baby number two. Can we just take a minute to say how happy I am about that? These girls, Courtney Love called them a fertility cult. I fucking love 
that the Kardashians are a matriarchy of sisters who just are intensely fertile, keep having babies together. Their exes are all like on again, off again, but that doesn't seem to matter to any of them. Uh, this next baby Kylie's having is with Travis Scott, the father of Stormy, her first child. And they're not exclusively in a relationship or officially in a relationship or whatever, but she's having another baby with him. These women are living out the script of the Duchess, like what she was trying to achieve and didn't end up achieving it. But I mean, oh my gosh, I love it. I want you to email me more. Email me more. Oh, yes. I have this person's Twitter and I have their mobile number so I can set up some spicy shots. Okay. Number one, I think the photographer who papped you knew where you lived. It's called a doorstep. This photographer got lucky as they picked the one day you decided to come out. They take into account what you put up on social media and they must have known it was your day off. Number two, the pictures probably sold for two to three thousand pounds. 3,000 to the first sale. When other publications run the pics, it might hit four in total, which is normal for this kind of set. Just for you to understand the market, the recent pictures of Ben and Jen on the yacht did over 120K in sales. Easy. I didn't need you to bring me back down to earth to let me know that I'm not as important as Benifer. What was the point of that? You had me on cloud nine thinking that my pics uh, in me in a disgusting tracksuit with white hair were worth 2k 3k I thought okay Catherine you're pretty hot stuff and then you had to bring me crashing down with the news that Benefer sold for freaking 120k didn't need to know didn't need to know number three the Kardashians and other celebs often work with photographers this is how they get to control what gets out they get nice pics taken of them, and they get a piece of the pie. Love your show. Always tune in while working the streets of Malibu. Oh my God, this person's so cool. Thanks for that insight, paparazzi. Oh, who got the pictures of Jennifer Aniston hanging out with fucking Ross Geller? Listen, Jen Aniston was trending on Twitter. I clicked on it, and it's like, oh my gosh, he's her lobster. Are David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston a real couple? And I literally puked. Do not fall into the trap of thinking this is cute. This is not cute. If the best Jen Aniston can get is David Schwimmer, God help the rest of us. He is a fine man, sure, whatever. Not good enough for Jennifer Aniston. Not by a mile. And it's not good news. I do not want to see it in my newsfeed. I don't like Ross Geller. He's like such a whiny simp. I genuinely cannot stand that character. I never have. Beware of people who like Ross. And I know David Schwimmer is an actor and he's a different man than Ross. Nevertheless, is he good enough for Jennifer Aniston? No. If they are an item, it means absolute death and destruction for the rest of us. Do not accept that as news. Do not share it. It is fake news. Here is a letter from a man. Catherine, love the podcast, recently discovered it. Welcome. Anyways, I've been seeing my girlfriend for four, coming up to five months soon. We spend a lot of time with each other. We live right across London, so it's difficult, but we do spend three nights a week together. We've both spoken about being in love and how it feels like we've known each other for so much longer. Is it too early to ask if she'd like to move in with me? I've been thinking about leaving home for a while now and would love to live with my girlfriend. How do I even bring it up? Oh my gosh. I assume this is your first girlfriend and you're very young because you don't know women at all. 
most of them, especially in, you know, films and television, would love to be asked that question. Like, I love that you're like, oh, I don't want to scare her off. I mean, it's so cool to move in with your boyfriend. It's fun. You don't have to live with your parents anymore. And spoiler alert, I mean, you don't mention your age. I'm guessing you're young. That's it. You cannot afford to live alone in London. Never, ever, ever. It's, uh, it's rigged. So, yes, Bobby and I are older, but we got married after being back together for like only a few months. I think five months at least broaching the subject of moving in together is not out of line at all. Just be like, look, logistically, London is huge and we live clear across the city from one another. It's kind of a ball ache to get to you. We're spending half the week together already. We've learned what from the pandemic? It's just take these chances, jump on something good when you can. And like, God help us, if we have another lockdown, you won't see this girl at all. So be like, what do you think? Should we look at getting a place together? And that takes sometimes a few weeks or months anyway. So no, I don't think it's premature to mention it at all. It's a great idea. And if she feels the way about you that you feel about her and if she knows the market like I do she knows she can't live alone and she'll be like yes let's do it and then you will really see if you're right for each other because my mother always says you should never ever marry someone before living with them that's how you find out who they are and in the old times you used to like get engaged put the horse before the carriage you know get married and then move in together those days are gone because we've learned You need to be in close proximity. You need to see if they put the towels away properly. You need to know what their, you know, bathroom schedule is like. You need to realize if there's someone who stacks the dishwasher properly, if there's someone that you can spend your life with. The worst she can say is no. I'm going to take a small interlude now to pour myself like a, what the hell is it? It's a cocktail that came in a box. It's really cool. It's a margarita. This is not an ad, but I mean, 19%. Ah, sure. How's 19% two units? I'll just have a bit of it. Hmm. You just open it and pour it over ice. Mm. I mean, yes. Oh, tastes like margarita. Okay, things just got interesting. Oh, happy anniversary, Ben and Ash in Australia. And here is another email. Catherine, congrats on baby Fred. I want another baby. Hubby is a no-go. Uh-oh. We have a three-year-old girl. I'm desperate for another baby. My husband doesn't want to have another one. I'm so upset about it, and I feel like my life and future is on hold while I try to change his mind. I'm so grateful for having one baby, but I always saw myself having more kids. And before our little girl, we always spoke about having two. He says he doesn't think he will cope with another kid, and he doesn't want the sleepless nights again. Am I selfish for telling him he doesn't know how he'll cope without trying? Uh, I mean, you're wrong. He knows how he'll cope without trying because he tried it once, and he didn't like it. And my instinct, I have to say, I'm quieting the instinct because my instinct is do what you want. He doesn't have to know. Trap him with a second baby. But, you know, this is wrong. Um, And honestly, now that I'm with Bobby and he really, really, really does exactly as much, if not more, than I do around the house, 
he doesn't get up with the baby. That's all me. But that's just because I have the breast milk. And we've just decided our equal arrangement is that he sleeps all night. And then I get a little nap in the morning. And he like stays home with Fred when I'm working and stuff. It works for us. But I think going to what I said in the beginning of the podcast about Bobby golfing, if your husband is reaching out to you and being honest with you about his limitations and his boundaries and what he needs to be mentally and physically well, then if you love him, you have to listen to that. Um, Is he being a little bitch, a pussy ass bitch? Yes. And it's no excuse. Like, yeah, of course you didn't like the sleepless nights, but that lasts, what, like six months? And then you have a legacy and you have these children. And I, I think he's being selfish. I think you do have to listen to him. I think he's got a valid point, but I do think it is a short-sighted and selfish one because not only is he robbing you of the opportunity to have two children, but he's robbing your daughter of the opportunity to have a sibling. And I love having my siblings. They give me context and grounding and it's okay if you don't have siblings, but I mean... I'd hate to go through life without my sisters and my mom be like, oh, it's because your dad didn't want to wake up in the middle of the night. I'd be like, what? I'm sure he didn't, by the way. Um, wow. Okay, so you are right and you should have two kids. He is very, very fair in telling you that he doesn't want to be up all night because he will be up all night and it sucks. So you've reached an impasse now. I think you need to maybe consider counseling or a neutral third party just to be like, look, let's, let's talk about risk reward, like benefits versus um, hindrances with this. Like your problem is temporary. My problem is forever. You know, like if he stops you having a baby, then that is a door that will close soon. And then forever you don't have two kids unless you adopt. Um, if his problem gets, you know, if he doesn't get his way, then he's only not got sleepless nights for a bit. So, I mean, I would use it like that. I'd be like, we are dealing with a temporary problem versus a forever problem. I win. We're having another child. Oh my gosh. Another email about my paparazzi pics. Catherine, I work at the Daily Mail and I saw the paparazzi pics come through. (laughs) Catherine, I was enjoying your onset with Jen and Fiona episode this morning as I do every week and I could not believe my luck. You started talking about the paparazzi pics of you walking baby Fred, which the Daily Mail published. Coincidentally, I work at the Daily Mail and as part of the job, we're all in a system where a live feed of paparazzi pictures comes through just as they are taken and paid for. (laughs) I was working when the walking pictures came through. I scrapped the task I was doing, obs, and immediately gave myself a new mission to see what was going on. First, I checked that Fred was not pictured in any of them. P.S. Love the denim jacket. There were so many, and some were really close up, so they must have been so sneaky. Anyway, I thought you'd be pleased to hear that they in fact did not capture you snacking on the energy bar or picking the scab in your nose. You can sleep well knowing they can never hold such images against you. As a loyal fan, pictures like that, if they ever do come up, I promise I will override the system, delete them, and risk losing my job. Perhaps we can create a sort of tag team. I alert you if pics come through. You choose your fave images, and then I hit publish. I would quite like to move my job anyway, because I'd like to be a stand-up comedian, so this could be the perfect exit strategy. Who's in? Oh my god, this is so funny. So I've got a paparazzi on side now. I've got this gal that works at the Daily Mail. We can start a quite a little hustle. 
All right, email us at telling everybody everything with the type of pics you would like to see. And maybe, maybe we can scam the Daily Mail at their own game. Make them feel like something really spicy is going on around here when nothing in North London actually transpires. I am the most boring person in the world. Poured a margarita a few minutes ago. Have I had any of it? One sip. Let's have another. We got to kick things off. I got to get creative. I got to think about some paparazzi ideas. Hmm. I'm not beneath shitting in the street. Yeah, I'll do it. I got four dogs. One of them's in a nappy right now. Um, oh my gosh. So Cardi is in season. You guys know I've not fixed Cardi and this is evil. You're not supposed to do that. But Bobby really loves her and maybe wants to have little poodle puppies. Though I think that idea is going out the window because she's had three seasons now and that's, you know, it's high time to fix her. So I believe she will be spayed in the next few months. But I digress. She's in a nappy. People have asked on my social media, why is Cardi in a nappy? That's why. When they're in season is like a smelly dog period. And um, I let her out today. I had Fred in the carrier. He's been in the carrier all effing day. And I forgot to take her nappy off. So she came in and I was like, what is that terrible smell? And Fred's nappies don't smell because he's breastfed. It just smells like lovely and sweet. I could smell shit. And then I realized I'd left Cardi's nappy on when she went outside and she shot herself. Oh, dog mom fail. So <clears throat> any ideas that you have for spicy paparazzi pics, email telling everybody everything at gmail.com. And gal, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for having my back. I really do appreciate that. And I'm sorry I didn't look cooler on the walk. I'll try harder for you next time when we work together. Here's one about body positivity. Catherine, I'm hoping you can share your wisdom on body positivity and how you handle your body changing. How do you find the balance? For the majority of my life, I've never weighed more than 115 pounds. Um, for British people, that's not a lot. It's like six stone, maybe seven. I was 115 pounds for a long time too. And now I'm 148 pounds. So how many stone? That's like two stone more at least and a bit. Okay. Now I'm 30 and my metabolism knows it. In the last three years, I gained a bit over a stone, maybe more, 15 pounds. I feel torn. On one part, I love having curves and boobs that were missing before, and I feel so much stronger than I did when I was 110 pounds. However, my body just feels so different, and after seeing vacation photos, I don't love how I looked. I guess it's also worth noting that I didn't exactly love my body when I was super tiny either. Yes, that's worth noting. That is the biggest thing worth noting, is that most people who feel, you know, I don't know, like they're in undesirable bodies, have felt like that their whole lives. And the easiest one to identify is fat because fat is definitely rejected in our society, especially when you're a woman, but also when you're a man. Um, so everyone goes, oh my God, if I was only as fat now as I thought I was in high school, you know, that's like a common saying. I think that my body positivity is, I've just felt the same size my whole life. I've like you, you know, when I was 115 pounds, I felt a little bit too big. When I was 125 pounds, I felt a little bit too big. And now I'm 100 and almost 50 pounds and I feel a little bit too big. I just care less. You know, I see other women and I see their long skinny British legs and I've always had really thick legs. And I notice that, but I don't really care. 
Um, equally, I see people who struggle with fitness and they have to work out so much just to maintain a healthy body weight where they're comfortable. And I feel lucky because I don't do anything physical and my body's pretty much a sample size all the time. Um, I mean, having two miscarriages before having Fred really helped because I stopped caring so much about, well, not that I ever really cared, but I mean, I definitely stopped caring at all about how my body looked. And I cared a lot more about what my body was able to do for me. I, I started thinking, well, I need my autoimmune stuff to really cool off so that I don't have a miscarriage. I just wanted my body to, to perform the tasks that I needed it for. I really thought of my body more as a vessel. But I was lucky that, you know, I had cancer when I was 21. And that did the same thing for me. I was like, I had a perfect little skinny tanned body. And I got melanoma, stage two melanoma, and I had to have surgery. And I started thinking, oh shit, this is what your body's supposed to do. It's supposed to walk you through life and keep you alive and keep you feeling happy and like you've got lots of energy. And I think it refocused my priorities and my priorities have never changed. I care so much about my mental health. I thank God or the universe every day that I have really solid mental health. And that's a body thing. And I thank the universe that I have energy and that I can move my body and that I'm not sick. Well, I am sick, but I'm not, you know, deathly sick. I love that. And I just don't care what my body looks like that much. I like to look nice, but I think it goes hand in hand with living for yourself. You know, I don't really give a shit what people think. I don't need to be sexy to someone. I don't need to look aspirational to someone. I just have to feel like happy and healthy and that I can physically achieve the things I want to. And that's a lot like my personality. I don't worry what people think about what I've said or what I've done. If I know in my heart of hearts that I feel that I've tried my hardest and been kind, I would just refocus. Always aim towards what you want more of. So aim towards gratitude, aim towards highlighting the things about your life and your body that you love, and more of that will follow. And be happy that you're not dead. This has been another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for your letters. I'm always sorry that I can't get to more of them. Um, Thank you, baby Fred, for staying pretty silent throughout No thanks to Megan, who still cannot breathe through her flat shih tzu face. Um, I really appreciate everybody for listening, and I love it when you write me, telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Thanks if you've pre-ordered my book. Um, I was bitching online about signing too many of them, but I've learned they put a cap on signed copies, and that makes me feel loads better. Don't feel bad if you've ordered a signed copy. I want you to have it. I want you to love it. And let me know, because you're going to start getting your books soon. Let me know what you think, and I hope to see you on tour. My brand new show, Mrs., kicks off next month. Only get tickets from the venue or from Live Nation or Ticketmaster. Do not use Viagogo or dodgy sites like that. You will pay too much, and you might not get your tickets. See you soon.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.